Our reading this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and I'm reading from verse 1, Matthew chapter 5, and beginning at verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together. Well, we return this morning to our summer series, uh, all about living upside down. And uh, we've been thinking about how Jesus turns our world upside down. And of course, this is all about God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so far we've been uh, looking at uh, greatness in the kingdom of God and we found that uh, greatness in the kingdom of God is about being the very last rather than about being the very first. It's about being the very lowest rather than the highest and it's about welcoming the very least. And then we looked at that passage that talks about living in the second mile and we found that that's about refusing to take revenge. It's about... Exceeding what's expected, it was about giving with grace and it was about love without limits. And then we looked at the uh, the act of forgiveness and we talked about unlimited forgiveness, we talked about undeserved forgiveness and we talked about those people who are unwilling to give or receive forgiveness. And then we looked at the parable of the Pharisee and tax collector and we saw it was about two very different People who prayed two very different prayers who ended up in two very different places. And then we looked at another parable, a parable of the workers in the vineyard, and we discovered that that was about outrageous grace, it was about generous grace, and it was about contagious grace. And uh, this morning we are continuing or concluding our series about living upside down And uh, we're looking at the Beatitudes. And uh, if anything, I've saved the best till last. I didn't know whether to start or finish with the Beatitudes, but I thought in an upside down way, it was probably better to finish um, at the beginning, if you understand what I mean. And this today is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived. The greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived. And in case you think I haven't read the, the Beatitudes about being meek and, uh, and everything, I'm actually not talking about myself. 
you'll be pleased to know. I'm talking about, of course, Jesus, um, who preached the Sermon on the Mount. Probably the, the most uh, famous sermon ever preached. Uh, somebody's worked out, uh, for those of the interesting on timing, uh, somebody's worked out that if you, if, if you read the whole sermon on, on the Mount out loud, it would take you about 14 minutes. Maybe that's the perfect sermon time, you might be thinking. But if you were, you'd obviously be wrong. <laughs> yes, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Michael Green, in, in his message of Matthews, talks about the uh, the importance of mountains in, in Matthew's Gospels. He says, he talks about the mountain of temptation in Matthew 4, verse 8. The Sermon on the Mount, obviously, that we're looking at in, in 5, verse 1. The mountain of transfiguration, uh, 17, 1. And the mountain of farewell, 28, 16. These are all peaks in Matthew's emphasis. Bit of humour there. Bit of peaks in... No, okay. These are all peaks in Matthew's emphasis. But the main point about the mountain here is the parallel to Mount Sinai. Moses went up Mount Sinai to get the law from God, to give to the people, and now Moses' great successor ascends a mountain to receive from his father and transmit to his disciples the law of the kingdom. We have a new law for a new people given on a new mountain by a new Moses. The Sermon on the Mount. And of course the Sermon on the Mount continues this idea of living upside down because Jesus' Sermon on the Mount isn't what people would have expected. I don't know if anybody remembers the film The Poseidon Adventure. Anybody seen the film The Poseidon Adventure? Uh, the original one was made in the 70s. I think they have made a, a remake. I've not seen the, the remake. But I remember, I remember uh, my dad taking me to the pictures to see this blockbuster of a film. And if you know the film, it's about a, a ship that's turned upside down by this freak wave. And uh, it's, it's an escape movie and these people have to try to escape. But the problem is, everything's upside down. So they, they're walking on the ceilings and they've got to, to kind of readjust to, to living upside down. And there's a sense in which uh, the ship of Judaism has been turned upside down with Jesus coming into the world. Everything's changed. Everything's changed. And uh, you can imagine, oh, we, we see it in the Gospels, uh, the response particularly of the teachers and, and the Pharisees to Jesus' teaching. Because he was changing everything. He was turning things on their head. And people were having to readjust and to try and find a new way. The Poseidon Adventure. Good film. And so, we read, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and sat down. Uh, teachers in Jesus' day, when they were going to say something serious, rather than standing up, as I've done this morning, I was sitting down, and now I've come and, and stood up, and, and you know, this is, this is uh, because we've got something important today. In Jesus' time, teachers would sit down to teach. Now we're going to get serious, we're going to sit down and teach, and that's what Jesus did. And he began to teach them. And uh, he talks about those that are blessed. Those that are blessed. Anybody feel blessed this morning? One or two. That's good to know, isn't it? That's good to know. Anybody feeling blessed? 
blessed are. Apparently, the Greek word is makarios or something. Makarios. And uh, the scholars argue about whether that word should be translated blessed or not. Some translations uh, translate it blessed, as in the NIV. Some have it as happy are, as in the good news. And different versions translate it different ways. Uh, Tom Wright talks about uh, wonderful news for the poor in spirit. Wonderful news. That's how he translates uh, this word. And... Uh, the term blessed is, a, is an explanation of the inner joy and peace that comes from uh, being right with God. Happiness may indeed be part of it, you'll be pleased to know. But it's a happiness that transcends what happens in the world around us. If you think of, of, of happiness, happiness tends to be very much based on people's circumstances. You know, if your circumstances are good and healthy and wealthy, then you feel happy. If your circumstances are not so good, if you're not healthy or you're not wealthy or you're in difficulty, then you tend to think that that's not a happy situation. And so this blessedness or happiness is something that transcends our circumstances and situation. It is not dependent on things that happen to us. Blessed. William Barclay says, the Beatitudes in effect say, oh the bliss of being a Christian, oh the joy of following Christ, oh the sheer happiness of knowing Jesus Christ as Master, Saviour and Lord. The very form of the Beatitudes is the statement of the joyous thrill and the radiant gladness of the Christian life in the face of the Beatitudes. A gloom encompassed Christianity is unthinkable. I quite like that, especially that last little bit. A gloom-encompassed Christianity is unthinkable. If you think about when last week we had a bit of a break from our series, but in a sense it wasn't, and we were thinking about uh, that passage in Ecclesiastes that recommended that we have fun. And uh, it seems to me that Jesus was somebody who would, would echo that, because Jesus seemed to be a person that had fun. And... Uh, the Beatitudes talk about this happiness, but really it's a happiness of spirit, it's a happiness of soul. It's also about when God shows through. When one Sunday morning, uh, a mother and daughter were driving home from church, and the little girl turned to her mother and said, Mum, there's something about the preacher's message this morning that I can't understand. And the mother said, well, what's that? And the little girl replied, well... He said that God is bigger than we are. He said that God is so big he could hold the whole world in his hands. Is that true? And the mum said, yes, of course that's true. But mum, the little girl said, he also said that God comes to live inside us when we believe in Jesus as our saviour. Is that true too? And the mum assured the little girl that that also was true. What the pastor said was true. With a puzzled look on her face, the little girl then asked the mum, if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? If God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? And there's a sense in which the Beatitudes are not some kind of thing that we try to achieve, but it is a sign and a symbol of God showing through in our lives. There's a sense in which the Beatitudes are not something that we can achieve in our own strength. 
Which is difficult because we live in a world where that's the way the world works, isn't it? Um, you, like me, will have been, uh, you want to be not being able to see the Olympic Games. And there's been some fantastic moments in the Olympic Games. But those Olympians um, have worked extremely hard and they emphasise, don't they, the sacrifice that people have made over four years to attain this wonderful uh, achievement of winning a gold or a silver or a bronze. And that's the world that we live in where, where you are rewarded for your efforts and work. And again, we see that Jesus turns our world and our ideas and our thinking upside down. We've already seen it in this series when Jesus talks about uh, the greatest not being those that come first and win, but those that become last. Well, nobody gets a medal in the Olympic Games for coming last. It's only the first three that get medals. And even, you know, people that sometimes they get the silver, if you watch the... Uh, the um, Taekwondo, when that when that poor British guy was a second away from from, he'd got his hands. He, he was already receiving the gold medal, and he had it snatched out of him from the last second. And he was absolutely dejected and despondent, and he he was in tears as he as he gave the interview. I was so close, and of course that's the world that we're living, where everybody wants to come first. They don't even want to come second. And the Beatitudes is about God showing through us. They are only achievable when we submit to God and we receive the Holy Spirit and allow God to work in us. So let's have a look at the Beatitudes. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, if I was to ask you who are the people that are blessed in this world, I'm guessing you wouldn't have come up with the idea of the poor in spirit as being those that are blessed in the world, unless you were being clever, of course, and and thinking, well, I'll quote what Jesus says. But the reality is that's not what the world think of people who are blessed, is it? You know, our world thinks that the blessed people are the, the people that are rich, the people that are famous, the people that are powerful, the people that are very talented. Those are the people that are seen as being blessed. And sometimes we see this creeping into, into church life, don't we? Where, where people actually talk about, uh, you know, oh, God's blessed my business, or God's blessed me, uh, with this wonderful house, or God's blessed me with this or that and the other. And, and, and this idea that God blesses is us in worldly terms, which I don't know about you, I kind of really struggle with that idea. Because it seems to be totally alien to what Jesus not only teached and taught, but how he lived. You know, Jesus talks about not even having a, a roof over his head. Uh, he was born into poverty. Uh, he, he, he died uh, a, a villain's death on a, on a cross. Uh, there was nothing rich in terms of this world in the way that Jesus lived. And uh, the Beatitudes talk about a people that are blessed that the world wouldn't consider to be blessed at all. And he starts off with this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus isn't talking about people that are living in poverty. It would be silly to say that those that have nothing in terms of of, of food and and, and, and shelter of the home are, are blessed in any way, because they're obviously not. Uh, he's talking about a poverty in spirits. 
those who are poor in spirit as being blessed. Which again, kind of jars with us a little bit, don't we? Because we look at people, you know, we look at people that, that, that pray great prayers, don't we? And we say, what a spiritual person. We look at people that, that preach great sermons. And we say, you know, what a wonderful person, maybe, or not. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so when people, when Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, even the, it, there's something that even jars with us within the Christian faith and thinking, well, is this right? D.A. Carson, in his comments on the Sermon on the Mount, he, he talks about and, and gives this explanation of poverty in spirit is, is the personal acknowledgement of spiritual bankruptcy. It is the conscious confession of unworthy before God. As such, it is the deepest form of repentance. It is exemplified by the guilty publican in the corner of the temple. God be merciful to me, a sinner. We looked at this a few weeks ago, didn't we? The parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And the tax collector was the one that cried out, God have mercy on me. While the Pharisee was basically saying, what a wonderful person I am. And thank God I'm not like this person. And there's such a danger that, uh, that we ourselves, we don't recognize, uh, ourselves do we sometimes in the gospels. And it's so easy to be more like the Pharisee than the tax collector because we do think that that's the good person. And so, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's about being aware of our position when we come before God. We can't come before God thinking great, greatly of ourselves. Because we know, and even if we don't know, God knows. When God looks at us, he knows us completely. He sees past all the pretense and, and, and the way that we portray ourselves. He sees us actually as we are. And we are poor in spirit. We are poor in spirit. But Jesus says these are the people are blessed because these are the people that know that they are dependent on God. These are the people that know that they cannot achieve their things by themselves, that they are in need of God. And again, we live in a world where people are very reluctant to admit, I can't actually do this, I need help. It's seen as a weakness. And yet in the kingdom of God, it's seen as a strength. It's seen as a blessing to be able to say, I am totally and utterly dependent on God. Poor in spirits are blessed in the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And again, I don't think Jesus here is particularly thinking about people who have just been recently bereaved. I think this mourning is, is, is more to do with people that, that maybe mourn their own personal condition because of their own sin in their lives and they are aware of just how much they have failed, but also people that look at the world and mourn the state of our world and see all the, all, all the evil and all the suffering and they cry out to God because of the pain and the suffering and the evil that they see in the world. And Jesus said, these people are not only blessed, but they will be comforted. And it is good to know, isn't it? That when you cry out to God from the bottom of your heart, that he hears you. 
and he offers you that comfort. Blessed are those who mourn. But mourning is not to be seen as boring. You know, we're not to be uh, these people that go around with, with dour, dour, dour faces all the time. Um, because we do have that joy. And even in our sorrows, we can know that joy. Even in our heartaches, even in our sufferings, we can still know a joy that isn't about a silly, frivolous happiness, but it's that deep joy that we know we are in a right relationship with God and he will comfort us. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This just seems ridiculous, doesn't it? It seems absolutely ridiculous. How are the meek? ever going to inherit the earth. It's going to be the strong. It's going to be the powerful. It's going to be the wealthy, surely. Not the meek. Quite like this cartoon. The meek shall inherit the earth. Are there any objections? (laughs) Are there any objections? Well, I guess there would be some objections, but not from those people. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But, you know, meekness is not to be confused with weakness. That's how the world sees meekness, isn't it? They see it as being weak. Whereas uh, meekness, uh, it's it's more about um, having a a gentle spirit, uh, being self-controlled. It's about uh, considering others more than ourselves. But that doesn't mean that we get walked over by other people or allow other people to trample over us. It's having that generous spirit within us. It's not seeking uh, vengeance. We talked about uh, forgiveness, didn't we? And, and in our world, if, 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 somebody, if somebody slaps you, the, the, the attitude of our world is you slap them back. If someone insults you, you, you insult them back. Well, meekness is, is actually having the strength not to have to retaliate. It's been having complete control over ourselves. And then Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I wonder what it is that we hunger and thirst for. People hunger and thirst for all sorts of things. And obviously, at one level, people hunger for food and thirst for water. But at another level, people hunger and thirst for all sorts of things. And what do we hunger and thirst for? Righteousness. Righteousness is really about being right with God. It's about having a right relationship with God. And Jesus says, blessed are the people who hunger and thirst, who strive for this right relationship with God. For they will be filled. Remember when Jesus uh, went to the well and he met the woman from Samaria and he talked about uh, a water uh, that would satisfy And that she wouldn't have to keep coming back because he had the water that would well up inside her to eternal life. They will be filled, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Again, I remind you, don't try to act this way, one preacher said about the Beatitudes. Um, this isn't about something that we do rather than something about that we be. 
or rather become, in Christ. These aren't attitudes that we can attain if you work hard enough. This is something that will happen if you allow Jesus to come into your life. If you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and direct you and control you, these attitudes will just show through. They will shine through. When people bump into you, this is what they will come up across. You know, sometimes you bump into people and they are outraged, aren't they? Have you noticed that we live in a society that is very easily offended and outraged? It's not just in the church. Uh, people are very easily offended. I had to laugh the other day. I was my, my, uh, Some of my family, I, 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 I used to like it, but I've gone off it, Big Brother. Um, but somebody complained about Big Brother. Uh, if, if you've not watched it, don't bother. But, uh, but I tell you, the, if you've ever watched the beginning of Big Brother, it says, warning, uh, there may be offensive language, there may be swearing, there may be a whole list of things, and you're thinking, what, if, if you're going to be offended, there's, there's a button you can, you can turn, you can switch off or you can switch over. Why are you watching it and being offended? But people seem to like to be offended. You know, people even in church are constantly coming up to me and they're offended by something I've said or something I've not said or something I've done or something I've not done. And, and we live in this world that's so easily offended, don't we? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The psalmist says, doesn't he, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Those who have a clean heart, a pure heart. Jesus says, blessed are those. And again, we live in a world uh, that has forgotten what purity means, hasn't it? We live in this world that's, that's not very pure. And we can so easily become tainted by that. But Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. How this world needs peacemakers. How this world needs peacemakers. Not troublemakers. There's enough troublemakers in the world, isn't there? Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers and not the troublemakers. And it's the same in church, you know. We need peacemakers rather than troublemakers. Every organisation has got enough troublemakers. Uh, you might be one of them, I might be one of them. But what we actually need is peacemakers. And of course, Jesus came and he was called the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace between mankind and God, but also between humankind. And so often what we need is people who act as peacemakers in situations. People who bring peace. So many situations seem almost unreconcilable. And we need people who can bring peace. And we are to be peacemakers in this troubled world. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, we just think this is ridiculous. How can people be blessed when they're being persecuted? That doesn't sound right. Again, it's this upside-down nature of the kingdom. But of course, we live in a world where, I think in this century, more people are being persecuted for their faith than in any other century in the whole of history. Uh, the persecuted church 
Uh, I was going to say it's alive and well, but that's wrong, isn't it? It's alive. It's alive, but it's not well because it's been persecuted. And we need to pray for the persecuted church. But we need to remember that if these beatitudes show through us, it may also lead us into persecution. People might be offended um, by a stance that we take on something because of our faith. And there's a sense in which we almost should expect that that would be the case. Because the gospel is actually quite offensive. Because it challenges, it challenges our world view. It turns it upside down. So it is going to be offensive. We find it offensive. We find it difficult. So people outside of the church are going to find it even more difficult and remarkable. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When God shows through, the Beatitudes is about when God shows through and he shines through us. If we allow him to. Again, I would say these aren't attitudes that we can attain, but these are attitudes that we will receive through Jesus Christ. The Beatitudes. Tom Wright says this, the Beatitudes are a summons to live in a present way, in a way that will make sense in God's promised future, because that future has arrived in the present, in Jesus of Nazareth. It may seem upside down, but we are called to believe with daring that is in fact the right way up. This kingdom, this upside down that we, kingdom that we've been talking about, that seems to the world and seems to us as being upside down, is actually the right way up in God's eyes and in God's world. And so that's why you and I do need to live upside down. Because upside down is the right way up in the kingdom of God. When God shows through.